longevity is a beautiful symphony. You know, it's like a perfect balanced jigsaw where you need the right amount of pieces in the right combination. Welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. I'm Peter Bowes. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity. Now, for all of the years that I've been interested in this subject, writing about it, making documentaries, podcasts, even taking part in clinical trials myself as a human guinea pig, the work of Luigi Fontana has been a constant source of information and inspiration. Dr. Fontana is a physician, author and professor of medicine and nutrition at the University of Sydney in Australia. He is one of the world's leading experts in the mechanisms involved in healthy ageing, preventative medicine, nutrition, fasting in all of its forms, cancer biology and the ever fascinating subject of the gut microbiome. All of which, and much more, he covers in his new book, The Path to Longevity, The Secrets to Living a Long, Happy, Healthy Life. Professor Fontana, it's a huge pleasure to welcome you to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really good to talk to you. How is it in Sydney today? No, Sydney is, uh, is you know, we, we were very lucky with the COVID. You know, we had very, very few cases and uh, so far so good. The weather is beautiful, even if it's winter here. It's a very mild winter, you know, so it's a uh, it's really nice place of the world. You know, Australia is beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. I've only visited Australia once and, and I loved Sydney, if, if only for the coffee, but for many other reasons as well. It's a beautiful place. And of course, you've lived around the world. Uh, you've worked here in the United States. You were born in Italy, and that's where you trained as a doctor. Exactly. I trained as a doctor in Italy. I did my residency in Italy. I spent one year in London at the King's College. And then, you know, I did most of my PhD in US at Washington University in St. Louis, where I worked for 17 years before I came here to Australia. And the move to Australia with your experience around the world, and especially here in the States, did you notice a, a difference maybe in, in the profession, in research, in, in science, a different in attitude uh, to, from the Australians to perhaps what you were used to in the United States? Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, every country, you know, has its own uh, differences, uh, cultural differences, and... Um, I think Australia is more like Europe where, you know, we have an idea that, you know, people should have access to uh, free health care and, uh, and free education. And uh, therefore, if someone is losing his or her job, you know, they, don't have, they, they, they still have access to good health care. And um, and that's why I think is one of the reasons why I decided to move back, you know, to 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 kind of more European philosophical approach, where you know the wealthy people, the more smart people, they are contributing heavily to help, you know, to have, you know, that so everybody has, you know, some basic rights that it's like health, and you know, one of the issues with US is that you know. Uh, most of the research and uh, health care that I like to call sick care, because really, you know, we, you know, the, the approach is do whatever you want, 
eat, smoke, drink. And then, you know, when you are sick, you come to us and, you know, we are going to do the best, you know, personalized medicine. You know, I like this term that, you know, everybody's using personalized medicine. And, uh, and then, you know, we're going to find the, 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 the best drug, the best medication for you to treat your disease. In some way, it's like, you know, if you say to a citizen, look, you know, you buy your car, you drive your car without knowing anything about it, you know, without changing your tires, without changing your, your brake pads, you know, without changing your oil, and then you wait, you know, for the accident to happen. And once the, the, the accident is, is occurring, then, you know, we are going to come, you know, with the best, you know, ambulance, you know, to, to see, you know, to, to get you and, you know, to see, you know, how bad is the damage, you know. And then, you know, we are going to try to fix the damage, you know, in the best way uh, we can. And uh, I think, you know, th that's crazy and is unsustainable. It's unsustainable because, you know, it's impossible to provide health care for everybody in these conditions, you know, because the accident are going to be in some ways like the COVID, you know. You know, if you don't flatten the curve, basically, if you don't reduce the risk of people getting sick, the system is going to be overwhelmed, and, you know, look at now what happens in US, you know, it's, uh, you know, 70 plus percent of population is overweight or obese. There are now some countries where 43 percent in Louisiana, 43 percent of the citizens are obese, not overweight, obese. I mean, you know, you have to be a genius, you know, to understand, you know, you know, with this rate of obesity, especially in kids, you know, the number of chronic diseases is going to explode, you know, you know, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, dementia, and uh, fatty liver disease leading to cirrhosis and liver cancer, you name it, you know, basically among probably 80 to between 60 to 80% of, you know, the common disease we see in our hospital are due to unhealthy lifestyle for many, many years of unhealthy lifestyle. And, and therefore, if you, if, you, if you have this type of, you know, lifestyle uh, that is typical of America, but unfortunately not, 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 not of America anymore, you know, the consequences are, are clear. You know, at least they are clear to me that it's going to be, you know, that wealthy people, they're going to afford, you know, the best hospitals and the people, the middle class and the poor people, they're going to be, you know, on their own. So just going back to that analogy then that you made of the, the engine that isn't cared for, we yeah. are all in, in huge numbers, certainly a majority of, of populations, just that accident waiting to happen. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. You know, basically you, it's not if, it's when and how bad it's going to be, you know, ba based on your genetic background, based on your age, based on different conditions, you're going to have a one accident and then the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth. In fact, you know, many of the people, you know, they take 10, 15 medication as they get older. These medications, they are causing problems by the, you know, they, are, they have side effects and so they cause other, other problems. And it's crazy because we know, as I explained in my book, that, you know, we can minimize. The risk is, is it will never be zero, okay? So it's impossible in biology to have a zero risk. It's like, you know, if you change your tie, if you change your, you, if you take care of your engine, the risk is never zero. You know, 
it can happen, but the risk is much low, much, much lower. That's why, you know, we do everything. You know, that's why, you know, we change our tire, we change our, you know, brake pads, you know, we, we, we take care of our car because we know, you know, we are going to drastically minimize the risk. And that's what, you know, a healthy society should do. So a healthy society should teach uh, kids, teenagers, so primary, secondary, thir- tertiary school, they should teach, you know, what I try to explain in, in my book. Because it's not something that you can learn, you know, just by reading, you know, a book once. You know, it's like, you know, if you ask, you know, I don't know, an engineer or a doctor or a violin player, you know, say, you know, can you give me like a, a short answer, like, you know, something easy to master so, you know, I can become a, a professional violinist or a, or an engineer able to, to, to design a bridge or an airplane? No, it takes many, many years of studying, mastering, experimenting, and then, you know, eventually you become a good doctor, a good engineer, a good violinist, a good pianist. And, uh, and uh, unfortunately, you know, we teach our, in our kids, you know, to do math, to do gram, to do, you know, many other things. But, you know, we don't teach the most important stuff, how to ca- take care of yourself. Well, that's what you talk about in the book. Uh, it is a wonderful read and you cover all the, the different pillars of longevity, nutrition, exercise, uh, what I would describe as matters of the mind, the spiritual side of our lives. And at one point in the book, you write, living longer by itself is of no importance to me. And I thought we'd start there because I assume what you're referring to there is what I often talk about, and that is health span is much more important than than lifespan. Yes, you know, that's one point. Health span, of course, is much more important than lifespan because that's what's happening right now because of the major advances. So, so the, don't get me wrong, you know, what we did in the last 100 years in terms of medicine is fantastic. So basically, you know, surgery and diagnostic and vaccines and blood transfusion. People, they don't understand, you know, how life was only 100 years ago. The average lifespan was 35 years. If you had, you know, basically an infection, you know, like a bronchitis becoming a pneumonitis, you know, your chance of dying was 50%. Only after World War II, you know, we discovered antibiotics and now, you know, you can treat a disease if you have a a major trauma, if you have surgery with antibiotics, you can, you know, get rid of bacteria that, that, that eventually they're going to kill you. Uh, so again, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, what we did in medicine is fantastic, is how we use this knowledge that is wrong. Because, you know, again, you know, because the risk is not zero, if, you know, I have an accident, then I want to have access to this fantastic medicine. But, you know, like for COVID, you know, we have to reduce the number of people accessing these, these, uh, these uh, hospitals so that, you know, people, so that, you know, they, they, you know they're going to be good care for everybody. And so they're going to be free health care for everybody because the numbers are very low. And so, you know, we can afford, you know, to have free health care if people that, that they are taking care of themselves. But apart from that, I think, you know, there is another concept apart from health span. The other concept is that, you know, I think, you know, you know, our body having healthy body is just an instrument for, for our inner self to, to, to grow and experience. You know, I think, you know, our life is a beautiful journey. It's a fantastic journey. If you think about it, you know, you're born in this beautiful planet, 
you know, you can experience, you can have lot of, lots of friends, you know, you have a beautiful family, you can travel, you can change work, you know, you can try to understand who you are and, uh, and, and express the best of yourself, you know, because each one of us has different strengths and, and, you know, and if we can really understand who we are, if we can find harmony, if we can find balance, then, you know, we can enjoy this life. Of course, you know, there are bad times in life, but these are, if we are strong, you know, we can cope, we can learn how to live with this problem and we can grow, you know, because it's during difficult times that people normally, they meditate and they grow and they become better human beings. And, and so I think, you know, again, you know, I see, you know, sometimes a lot of obsession, you know, with uh, building mass on mass and, you know, being lean or being living longer just for the sake of living longer. But I don't understand, you know, if living longer is going to, for example, damage the planet, what's the point? You know, you know, let's say, you know, you know, this high animal protein diet, you know, there's some people on the paleo or now the keto, they are proposing as the solution for, for the epidemic of obesity that, you know, we know from multiple data, from animal data, from molecular data, from epidemiological data, from randomized clinical trial that are unhealthy. But let's say, you know, they are healthy. Let's, you know, imagine they are healthy, but for human, for the, for the single human being. But if this con- excessive consumption of animal products is destroying the planet, because we know it does, because, you know, the, you know, this intensive animal farming, think about, you know, in US there are 300 million plus people, in China 1.3, 1.4 billion people. If each one of these persons is going to eat meat like, you know, Americans do, you know, the planet is over, it's already over, you know, because, you know, the, the 15% of global warming is due to intensive animal farming. There is basically the huge consumption of land, you know, we are destroying topsoil, you know, to, 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 to grow all these, 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 uh, these uh, feeding, you know, corn and soy for, for feeding billions of animals that every day are killed. And there are these, anti, there is antibiotic resistance, there is a water overconsumption in California. Basically, the aquifers are almost depleted, you know, because we are, we are extracting so much fresh water. And so people, they don't realize that, you know, that, you know, what we do is it, it has an impact that is on a planetary. It's, it's not only just you, you know, you have to think about you in relation with nature, with the planet, with the sustainability and I don't think people then realize, and, you know, this COVID is just an example of what can happen just, you know, because a virus is starting to travel around, you know, but what happens, you know, with global warming? People, they don't realize, you know, the global warming is coming. So you're not about just living and living and living for living's sake, but you are about living as healthy as we can for a, well, let's just say a, a reasonable number of, of years. And that's why I use the, the phrase Healthspan, not to obsess on living forever or even living to be 120, maybe 90 or 100 would be great as long as we're contributing to society and we are of value to our families and we are above all for our own benefits. We are 
healthy. So the goal is to try to achieve that. Some people will say, well, let's live and let live. Okay, some people might have the longevity gene that allows them somehow to, to get to that great age. But through reading your book, I see one of the things that you point out is that the, the longevity gene, whatever that is, is perhaps less significant than we think. Yeah. So if we look at the data from multiple sources, you know, approximately 25%. So these are the studies in identical twins, okay? So these basically are homozygous twins, and uh, the data are suggesting that no more than 25% of the probability of living a long or short life are due to inherited genes. 75% is due to environmental factors. And even in centenarians, there are studies from Tom Prowls uh, in, 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 in Boston and Sebastiani, Dr. Sebastiani, even in, in, in family of centenarians, at the, at, probably 40%, not more, is due to genes. The rest is due to environmental factors. And the beauty that, you know, is that, you know, we are discovering that aging is not a wear and tear process, is highly regulated. There are some metabolic and molecular pathways that are regulating the accumulation of damage. So that's that's the beautiful of the beauty of science. You know, we have dissected by doing, you know, molecular experiments where we knock down genes or overexpress genes, and now we understand, you know, there are certain pathways, like for example, the insulin IGFM tor pathway that is one of these nutrient sensing pathways. So basically our cells are able to understand how much nutrients and proteins are available for growth and reproduction. And they are able to twist and, 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 and modulate, you know, the accumulation of damage. And, and then there are many other ones that, you know, infl- inflammatory cytokines and catecholamines and angiotensin, you know, that, you know, we can treat with lifestyles. And therefore, you know, we can, you know, improve this health span, lifespan, and therefore reducing our risk of developing diseases and getting frail and, you know, taking multiple medications, getting in and out of hospitals, you know, pain and suffering. But people, they don't know, and they are looking for the magic fix. You know, there are a lot of people out there, you know, they are selling, you know, the, the magic recipe, you know, it can be a drug, it can be a food or something, and to me, it's crazy. You know, it's like, you know, I don't know. I mean, sometimes, you know, when I, when I see, you know, that, you know, there are people who have millions of followers just, you know, because they have, you know, a simple magic ballot, you know, for a complex problem. I'm appalled of how people can believe that. I, I, I don't understand. Now, you are probably best known for your work on, certainly in nu- the area of nutrition, but uh, specifically on, on fasting. And uh, you write and you, you point out that uh, the fasting or calorie restriction is the most powerful intervention to slow aging. And before we, we delve into that, I just want to talk a little bit about Roy Walford, uh, who you were in, inspired by uh, in the early part of your career. Roy Walford was uh, one of the first, at least one of the main characters of his era, to talk about calorie 
restriction. And uh, he was based here in, in Los Angeles at uh, UCLA. I met him in the late 1990s, uh, briefly to, to do an interview, which is just a few years before he died. What was so uh, inspiring about him and his work for you? Look, you know, I talked with Roy probably a few months before he died. He called me one day. I was in my office in, in St. Louis and he called me and he said, Luigi, I'm Roy. I'm Roy Walford. I said, hi, Roy. <laughs> and he said, you know, look, you know, I want to thank you because, you know, you are doing fantastic research on color restriction. As you know, you know, I've been working many, many years on, on mice and color restriction and the work you are doing is fantastic. I'm, I, I, I'm really th- thankful, you know, that, you know, you are doing this work. And it, it was a, like we talked for half an hour. It was really, really nice. You know, it's uh, and then I'm, I'm a good friend with his, uh, with his uh, daughter, Lisa, and uh, yeah, I think you know they are a fantastic family, very open, very progressive, and uh, and um, and as you know, Roy, you know, basically did this. Uh, lot, you know, many of the most important papers on color restriction in mice are coming out of his lab. You know, Richard Weindruck was one of his postdoc, and then you know he became a influential. You know scientist on mice and monkeys on you know there are two monkeys cr monkey studies one is one of uh, richard uh, who is again a good friend and um yeah so i started you know to 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 work on color restriction because when i was a medical student one of our professor his name is ottavio bosello He's a geriatrician. He told us during the, 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 you know, the, the class, you know, the geriatric class about, you know, the color restriction effects in mice. And I said, oh, wow. So what I've been studying for years, you know, these, because, you know, as a, as a teenager, I had, I have an uncle who is a scholar in traditional Chinese medicine and, uh, you know, Indian yoga, all this stuff. And so I've always been raised, you know, with this idea of, uh, holistic approach, you know, preventative approach to health. And so I went through medical school, you know, with this uh, idea of looking at the big picture. You know, I knew I didn't want to become a heart failure specialist or a breast uh, cancer oncologist. You know, I, I, I need, you know, my mind needs to be to, to, to look at the big picture. I'm not, I'm not able to, to function, you know, in a very super specialized, you know, um, sector of medicine. And so when he told me, he, he told us about this beautiful data, about these CR mice data, extending lifespan and health span, I said, wow, fantastic. So basically it does exist in nature, a, a biological program that can extend lifespan and health span and drastically reduce many chronic disease. And so once I finished my residency and I did one year of uh, residency in London doing research on endothelial function, I started to look into who was working on color restriction in humans. I wrote an email to Richard Weindruck and he told me, look, Luigi, I'm working only on, in mice, so I'm not working in, 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 in humans. But John Holody at Washington University, he just got a grant to study the effects of color restriction in humans. Why you don't write to him? So I wrote to John and John told me, why you don't come and join my lab? 
And so I, I, did, I did my luggage. I left Italy and I went there and I worked with John for 17 years. And, uh, and I don't know if you know, John Holodzy is one of the pioneers of exercise physiology. He, got, he won the gold medal at the Olympic, uh, Sydney Olympic Games in 2000 as a recognition for his discovery in you know, exercise physiology and half a million dollar prize. And so it has been an honor and a beautiful adventure to work with him and talk with him. You know, we were best friends, you know, we, apart from, you know, doing great science together, you know, you know, we were talking about anything, philosophy, life. And, and so it, it's been beautiful. And, you know, I, I was blessed, you know, to work with such a great man and having collaboration with Richard Weindruck and uh, many other top scientists in the field of longevity, understanding longevity and how we can live a long life, but most importantly, a healthy life, as we said. Now, as we come up to the present day and you talk about calorie restriction, I think the thing that most people would immediately think of is intermittent fasting, which has really taken off over the last few years. And of course, there are various forms of Fasting. There's the five-two diet, which I know a lot of your research basically went into the creation of the five-two diet. And we're talking there in terms of days, the five and the two representing days of the week. But then there are sixteen-eight diets, and we're talking about hours here. We're getting into time-restricted eating. Some people do twenty-three-one. It's more extreme. There are fasting-mimicking diets of the kind that Walter Longo at USC has developed, all under this umbrella of intermittent fasting, which increasingly, to me, and, and I look into this, but increasingly is confusing because all of those regimes are, are actually very different, aren't they? Yeah, uh, you're right. You know, right now, you know, there is a big push, a big commercial push and media push about, you know, you know these fasting, different type of fasting regimens. And this is based on data from animal, animal models, okay? And the data on animal models are really interesting. Even if you know, if you look at the survival curves, uh, fasting is not as powerful as chronic calorie restriction without malnutrition. There is a, a significant effect, but it's not as powerful. But there is a problem, and the problem is that you know a lot of biologists, a lot of PhDs assume that you know. Mice and humans are the same. They are not, unfortunately. You know, mice live two and a half years. Humans live 80 years. I'm talking on average. And uh, mice, they don't develop atherosclerosis. That is the first cause of death, even if you feed them a high-fat diet. Um, mice, the type of cancer are completely different. But most importantly... After two days of fasting, most strains of mice die. So 48 hours of fasting is little. Human beings, even people lean like me, they can go for a month without eating. So when we look at the data of, for example, intermittent fasting, where animals, they are fasting 24 hours and then feeding 24 hours, this is not like 24 hours for a human being because probably one day of fasting for a mice is probably like five or six days of fasting in a human being. So, you know, what I think, you know, we have been studying so far 
is like doing for the entire life, five days of feeding, five days of fasting, five days of feeding, five days of fasting. And even for the time-resisted feeding, you know, the data from example from, from Panda in California, 12 hours of fasting for mice is not overnight fasting for humans. Probably 12 hours fasting is like probably three or four days of fasting in a human being. And we know, for example, you know, if you fast for five days, your IGF-1 drops by 50, 60%. One day of fasting, probably 10%. So, you know, the signal is not there. Just for people coming to IGF-1, and you, yeah. I know I've actually talked about it a lot, and having done the fasting mimicking diet, I know exactly what that kind of diet will do to my IGF-1. But just could you explain what uh, the insulin growth factor 1 is? So basically... Uh, there are many growth factors. The most important ones is probably IGF-1 and insulin because, you know, insulin and IGF-1, they are binding to the insulin and IGF-1 receptors on, and that every single cell of our organism have. And uh, insulin and IGF-1, they're like brother and sister, meaning that, you know, insulin can bind to IGF-1 receptor with low affinity and vice versa, IGF-1 can bind to the insulin receptor with low affinity. And when insulin and IGF-1, they are binding to this receptor, they are stimulating a pathway, it's called the PI3-AKT pathway, that is inhibiting FOXO and mTOR that are two of the most important uh, transcriptional factors for longevity because when you have uh, low FOXO and high mTOR because insulin and IGF-1 are binding to the receptor, you are inhibiting autophagy, you are inhibiting DNA repair, you are inhibiting antioxidant pathways, you are inhibiting apoptosis and you are pushing cell proliferation, you are, you, you are stimulating cell proliferation, increasing random mutations leading to cancer and uh, cell senescence. So multiple data from dietary, genetic, and now pharmacological with rapamycin have clearly shown, you know, this pathway is a key pro-longevity, anti-cancer, anti-aging pathway. So there is no doubt about it. So we don't know in humans how important it is, but, you know, based on many epidemiological data, higher IGF-1 is linked, you know, with uh, increased risk of uh, breast cancer, colon cancer, prostate cancer. Um, so we know that, you know, this stimula stimulation of IGF-1 is driving cancer and anything that drives cancer, drives aging, uh, there is no doubt about it. So again, you know, IGF-1, is an important factor. You know, I have published, you know, you know, that, you know, for example, people on a kind of vegetarian diet, you know, with a, 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 the right amount of calories, they have lower IGF-1 levels. Uh, but calorie restriction, for example, in humans by itself is not lowering IGF-1, even if it's increasing IGF binding protein 1. I haven't published the data yet, you know, but we, we have data, you know, showing you know, that the IGF BP1 is hugely increased by calorie restriction. And so more IGF-BP1 means less bioavailable IGF-1. But it's very technical. So the message is that, you know, when we do fasting, you know, it's not like fasting in mice, 
because of these different uh, metabolic. So mice, you know, rats, they have a very high metabolic rate. And again, you know, after two days of fasting, they die. And so, you know, you cannot assume that, you know, that, you know, one day of fasting in humans is similar to one day of fasting in animals. But most importantly, what I can see with a five to diet or other type of diets is that, you know, people, they assume that, you know, if they fast, then in the non-fasting period, they can do whatever they want. <laughs> I'm sorry, it doesn't work like that. You know, if you, if you are eating junk in the non-fasting days and you expect that, you know, you're going to live longer because of that, bad news, you're not going to do and that. And that, that, that also applies to people doing a, a 16-8 diet or exactly. even a 23-1. Yeah. What you eat during that eating window is yeah. all important. Exactly, because, you know, you are changing your gut microbiome, you are changing, you know, you are providing the building blocks of your cells. So, so if, you are, if, you, if you think, you know, that, you know, you are going to, you know, eat junk, you know, highly processed, refined food, you know, as much as you want in the non-fasting days, or even if you do calorie restriction, calorie restriction doesn't mean eating half hamburger, half pack of French fries and half soda. That's not calorie restriction. That's calorie restriction with malnutrition. That's going to kill you. So again, you know, as I try to convey in my book is that, you know, longevity is a beautiful symphony. You know, it's like a perfect balanced jigsaw where you need the right amount of pieces in the right combination. You know, it's like, you know, if you have uh, colors, it, because you have a lot of colors, doesn't mean you know, you're going to able to do to paint a beautiful paintings. You, you have to have the right balance. And that's why, you know, you have people like pa Picasso, Matisse or Modigliani or Van Gogh who with the same colors that everybody has in, you know, uh, available can do the right mix. And uh, this idea that, you know, basically I like red and so I'm going to use a lot of red. No, 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 it doesn't work like that. You know, it's like, you know, I like violins. So in, in, in an orchestra, I'm going to have, you know, 80 violins. No, it doesn't work like that. You know, the symphony is not going to be uh, nice if you use, if you're over using, you know, violins. Or it's like, you know, to make a more simple analogy, it's like if you say, okay, you know, uh, the, the wheels of a car are important. So having four wheels, I'm going to have 20 wheels. No, it doesn't work like that. You, you need the right amount of wheels, you know, to be efficient, not too many. So just going back to my original thought of the being several different fasting regimes or time-restricted eating or fasting-mimicking diet, all of these things that people are aware of and, and doing and people evangelize over a certain diet over another. From your knowledge of fasting, is there one particular regime that you believe to be better than the others? Or is the fact that we are all different... Um, meaning that there is no clear answer to that question and that one diet might suit one person, another might suit another? Yes, I think that, you know, we have to move into something different. And it is, we should start to develop biomarkers that are going to measure on me, not on you, the response to different interventions so that people can start to experiment, you know, on which is the best cocktail of interventions that are going to keep 
these biomarkers under control. So the first biomarker, you know, everybody can measure is waist circumference. Because, you know, basically, as I said in my book, it's not just body weight. You know, you can be very lean, but, you know, if, uh, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you have low muscle mass and you have basically an increased waist circumference, if you have an excessive deposition of fat in your abdomen, it means you are in a chronic, chronic, chronic energy balance positive energy balance. And therefore, you are producing pro-inflammatory cytokines, you are becoming insulin resistant, you secrete excess insulin, you are reducing IGF BP1 and BP2 so that you have more bioavailable IGF1, you have uh, less sterohormone binding globulin, so you have more bioavailable testosterone estrogens. And all these factors are driving the accumulation of damage, they are inhibiting DNA repair, they are inhibiting autophagy and all these factors that, you know, we know are very important for health span and longevity. So I think, you know, what I envision is that, you know, we are going to develop a number of biomarkers that are more sensitive that, you know, uh, that with circumference, you know, where I can measure my insulin non-invasively you know, a few times a week and I can decide, you know, how much exercise and how much fasting or, or calorie restriction or different type of intervention I have to adjust to get basically the best results that fits myself. So that's the beauty, I think, you know, of these biology of aging signs, you know, we are developing and personally I'm developing in humans because again, Animals are extremely important to generate hypotheses. Without the animal experiments, I cannot understand which factors are important for mediating these anti-aging pathways. But then I have to test these hypotheses into humans because mice and rats and worms and flies are not humans. And uh, I think, you know, we are getting there, but people, first of all, they have to understand what is doing what. You know, because right now I see religions. I see people who are vegans and people who are paleo, people who are keto, people who are into uh, high exercise. You know, they are kidding themselves by running 60, 70, 80 miles a week, thinking, you know, because they are lean, because they are running, they're going to be healthy. So there is a lot of misconceptions. And I think, you know, let's go, let's get out of religions. Let's get of, let's get of, you know, it's not like Milan versus Juventus or, you know, you know, you know, it's understanding the mechanisms. Once you understand the mechanisms, then, you know, and you have the biomarkers, then, you know, you have the knowledge and instruments to regulate your health and your, 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 your parameters to optimize them according to who you are, what are your genes, what is your part of your life, what you want to achieve. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's just, you know, fiction. It's just, you know, to me, it's like, you know, uh, buy my product, you know, because, you know, you know, for X reason, you know, so I, I love animals. I, I'm a hunter-gatherer. I'm pro-fasting, anti-fasting. 
it's it's really discouraging, you know, and there is a lot of business around and I don't like that, you know. I think, you know, it's it's getting messy and uh, and money is more important than knowledge. So you mentioned exercise, you mentioned religion. I think exercise to some people is a religion, whether it's running those ultra marathons or it's working out in the gym seven days a week. But exercise is hugely important. And you talk in the book about physical activity or I guess the lack of physical activity being the biggest public health problem of the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, there is no doubt, you know, exercise is one of the instruments. Again, you know, as I said, you know, and let me reiterate that, you know, longevity is a is 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 a is a is a is a puzzle there you know you need a lot of different pieces and exercise is one of the many pieces you know you know you have to take care if you want to live a long and healthy life but again you know we need to understand what exercise does and what different type of exercise do on different metabolic molecular and physiological parts of our body Again, you know, just to tell you, you know, something, you know, that I think is interesting. You know, John Holloway, that as I said, you know, before, is it was, you know, one of the most important pioneers in exercise physiology. You know, he was not interested in calorie restriction. He became interested in calorie restriction because at one point of his life, he did an experiment because he wanted to test, uh, he wanted to prove that, you know, exercise had anti-aging effects. So he said, you know, let me do an, an experiment where, you know, I study uh, animals, rats that are exercising. He trained these animals to run on a, on, a, on, a, on a wheelchair and basically, and so he had a control sedentary group. Then he had, you know, an exercising group. And then he said, you know, look, you know, I want to have a third group that is, has the same body weight than the exercising animals. So he said, so, you know, how can I get, you know, an, a group who is lean? similar to the exercising by doing color restriction. So the third group were animals who were sedentary, but, you know, restricted, 30% restricted to have the same body weight of the exercising animals. With his great surprise, that's what he told me, you know, the results were that, you know, exercise was extending average lifespan, but not maximal lifespan. Instead of color restriction, it was extending both average and, and, and maximal lifespan. And he did this experiment twice with like 100 animals per group. So it was a big experiment because back then, you know, the, num- the, the cost of animals were much, much less than now. And, and again, you know, he found, and again and again, that even if they exercised the animals, they had more muscle mass, less body fat, they were more insulin sensitive, they did not live longer. They, had, they were healthier, so they had an increase in average lifespan, but not, an anti-aging effect, you know, by slowing down aging uh, and increasing maximal lifespan. And so, you know, with John, you know, we talk a lot about it. And the idea was, you know, basically color restriction is like a low energy flux status and exercise is high energy flux status where, you know, you have a lot of energy, a lot of substrates going into your cells and, you know, be turned on, you know, through mitochondria to the Krebs cycles. And, uh, and again, you know, uh, that's probably not the best way, you know, uh, to live longer. 
exercise is important in the right amount. So you want to exercise because you want to stimulate the GLUT4, the mitochondria biogenesis. There are a number of factors, the BDNF, there are a number of factors that are stimulated by exercise that calorie restriction does not, okay? But by itself is not the solution to a long and healthy life. And in fact, you point out in the book that athletes don't necessarily live particularly long lives. They might focus on their physical strength or their physical ability to run faster than anyone else or to play football or to play whatever the sport of choice is in their younger years. Extremely fit people, you would think, but it doesn't seem to affect their longevity. No. You know, they, they, of course, it improves their health, the general health, you know, but, you know, you know, they, even Olympians, they, they don't live, you know, probably they live a couple of years younger than the, the, longer than the average, but they are not really long lived, you know, like, you know, some, the Okinawans or the Sardinians or other people who are doing, <clears throat> they are, it's a balance of diet and exercise and other factors, including cognitive training and the, uh, mindfulness and, and, you know, the, the mind. Well, let's turn to that. Let's turn to mindfulness, nurturing our minds. And one of the things you write about is the importance of sleep, which I think we all get how crucially important that is, and uh, exposing ourselves to what you call pink noise. What's pink noise? There are accumulating data suggesting that, you know, you know, pink noise is like, you know, if you, if you are close to a waterfall or to the ocean, you know, there are these, uh, this kind of repetitive, you know, uh, noise that, you know, they have a set, certain frequencies like, you know, the rain falling, the, the waterfall, the, 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 the ocean waves, you know, and this looks like he has a, a, a he has a in fact in changing how our uh, electrical waves of our brain are functioning they are stimulating more you know, deep waves you know they are similar to the one you know we 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 have when we 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 are sleeping very deeply and the, and during this deep uh, phase three sleep you know the data are suggesting you know you know basically our brain is a uh, uh, cleaning up, you know, there is a cleaning up of the garbage, you know, you know, that we accumulate during the, during the day, there is less inflammation, there is a, a reduction in production of beta amyloid and tau who are promoting uh, dementia. So there are many interesting uh, things going on. And most importantly, during the night when we, de- when we, sleep, uh, deep, we sleep deeply, you know, we are fixing our memories, we, 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 we transfer what we have learned during the day from the RAM memory into the hard disk of our brain. So that's why it's very important for kids and not only for kids to, to sleep well, because, you know, if you want to be productive and creative, if you want to, you know, you, you know, consolidate, you know, the memories, you know, that you, the experience you had during the day is very important, you know, to, to sleep. Another aspect of mindfulness is our attitude towards 
other people, how we associate socially with other people, our viewpoint on life, our mindset. And you talk about the Akinawans of Japan having a sort of don't worry about everything, it's going to be fine kind of attitude, a kind of relaxed, zen-like attitude towards life, which you argue is, uh, I don't know, in terms of equal to exercise or diet, but certainly is a significant aspect of how we conduct our lives and the effect that it can have on how long we'll live. Yeah, I mean, we are starting just to scratch the importance of of uh, the metabolic molecular importance of, you know, the stress and negative emotions. You know, we are not very good, you know, scientifically, you know, we don't have, you know, strong techniques and it's very difficult to design experiments, you know, where you selectively study only the effects of, you know, stress or joy or anger, you know, but, you know, we, there are more and more data showing, you know, you know, anger and other negative emotions, stress, they have a very bad effect, you know, because, you know, for example, they activate the catecholaminergic pathways, norepinephrine, they increase cortisol, and these have very bad effects on longevity. We know that, you know, you know, the cortisol catecholamine pathways, you know, AC5 knockout mice, where you are you are basically, dis, you know, you are disrupting the catecholaminergic pathways. They live longer. So we know that, you know, stress and and uh, and and this negative emotion through inflammatory catecholaminergic cortisol pathways, you know, they are deleterious, you know, at least chronic stress, you know, because acute stress is good, you know, but, you know, chronic stress is bad. But, you know, I think, you know, there is another aspect about mindfulness, our approach to life is that, you know, what is coming out from science is that many of these uh, misbehavior, you know, people, you know, they are overindulging in junk food or drugs or alcohol or sex, now internet, you know, the, the Facebook and many other, you know, social media people, they are obsessed, you know, they, 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 they become addicted. And, uh, and it looks like, you know, that stress is an important component, you know, because if you are consciously stressed, you know, because you are not being trained, you know, to live a more mindful, more you know, to train your mind, you know, the mind, the mind is like a muscle, you know, we know, everybody knows, you know, if you want to become stronger, you have to exercise constantly to build muscle strength, muscle mass. The brain is the same. So if you, if you constantly think negatively, basically you are stimulating uh, the plasticity of your brain, you're building synapses that are going to reinforce these negative emotions or these negative behaviors. Instead of if you are training your mind by doing activities, it's like, you know, if I keep playing piano or if I keep playing tennis, if I keep surfing, eventually I'm going to get better. Why I'm going to get better? Because I build synapses that are going to allow me to do that movement or that behavior you know, in a automatic way. It's like, you know, when you drive a car, you don't think about, you know, driving the car. You jump in the car and you drive. At the beginning, instead of when you are learning, you have to think what you're doing, okay? So it's the same for everything. You know, if you look, you know, you know a pianist playing, I don't know, like a, a long uh, concert, you, sometimes you say, wow, how can he remember all these notes, you know, and, and doing perfectly? Because he builds synapses in his brain. And so I think the same happens for happiness, for joy, for serenity, for, for, for kindness, for many other 
behavioral, uh, emotional factors. If we keep working on that, you know, they become automatic. They become part of ourselves, and then we are going to become better human beings, more creative more successful in life, in our job, you know, we're, we're going to have a better emotional uh, health, you know, they're gonna, we have, we're going to have stronger uh, connection with our friends, you know, with our, with our colleagues. And so we're going to live a, a better life, a more high quality life than, you know, if you are selfish, you know, we are egoistic, we are excessively competitive, we have, all, you know, we train, you know, we train our mind, you know, in all these negative emotions that, you know, they're going to, lower the quality of our life. But as I said, the science is telling us that, you know, many of these addictions are a response to chronic stress, to chronic negative emotion, because, you know, if you are chronically stressed, you need some relief. And so then you can use alcohol, you can use uh, sex, you can use food just to have a short bout of dopamine to, you know, to transiently reduce the stress but then, it, then it's going to create an addiction because, you know, if you, even if for a short time you are reducing the stress, then, you know, you become dependent, like, you know, drug addicts, like alcoholists on, on, on these, you know, these dopamine shoot. And, and then, you know, you're going to destroy your health and you're going to basically uh, compromise, you know, your physical, metabolic, emotional, social life. And eventually, you're going to also have an impact on the environmental health of this planet. Yeah, I, I agree. That's really interesting. I want to end by quoting one line from your book, which has really stayed with me. You call it the stream of life. Each one of us is born in a precise place and historical time bound to an intricate net of biological, cultural, social and religious worldviews. As soon as we are born, the journey in our unique little world unfolds. I'm just curious, how would you assess your journey so far? Yeah, then, you know, you, you, you know, this is one of the parts that I like the most, you know, of my book, you know, it's more than my philosophical, because as I said, you know, I think, you know, life is a beautiful experience. It's, it's, it's a gift, you know, being born, you know, in this, uh, in this, in this world, you know, be able, you know, to make friends, for example, to meet you and have and discuss with you. It's enriching, you know, it's beautiful. So, you know, life, is 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 a beautiful journey you know we have just to learn like you know we learn you know to become anything in life you know you have to learn from yourself you have to walk and and experience and enjoy you know and learn how to understand what happens within within you when you encounter you know different experiences you know we know that you know the weather cannot always be nice. You know, we know, you know, that a storm is going to come. But, you know, if you know that, if you know that, you know, a storm is going to come, you know, you can prepare yourself and say, okay, tomorrow is going to rain. So, okay, tomorrow I'm going to stay home or I, I'm going to do something where, you know, I'm going to use my time in a way that, you know, where, you know, I can get the best of it. I'm not going to go out in the storm, you know, with, uh, you know, flying uh, stones or whatever, you know, because... I'm aware, again, you know, awareness, mindfulness, I'm aware and I can use my time, I can balance my life to get the best of it, you know, to become the best as that, that, that I can, you know, to become, you know, to use my strength, my, 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 my natural abilities to contribute 
to become a better human beings, to com- contribute to the society, to live in a in a better world. You know, my problem is that you know we have the knowledge right now to live in a fantastic world. We have the technological knowledge to re- drastically reduce chronic diseases. We have the knowledge to drastically reduce the use of fossil fuel. You know, we have knowledge, you know, to build houses that are completely energy efficiency. My uncle in North Italy, he has a house, no heating system, no air conditioning. It's basically, it's a class A plus house. He gets money every month, you know, because he's producing energy in excess because he doesn't have he doesn't need heat it doesn't air conditioning so he he does with the solar he's a hot water and you know he's producing energy in excess you know he's selling energy and so we have knowledge now to build cars that are super energy efficient and they you know eventually you know we're going to have cars that are going to drive on on hydrogen so producing basically vapor you know uh, instead of you know uh, pollutants and so that's what is, is killing me, you know, you know, if as a human, is a global human, human beings, you know, we would work together, we will use our energy, our knowledge, you know, and we invest in the university, you know, to develop, to integrate all this knowledge, we could live in a much better, more healthy, more happy, more kind, loving planet where people, instead of wasting their times to work long hours to pay very expensive healthcare systems. You know, they have more time to enjoy their life, to do art, to do music, to travel, to, to, to enrich themselves. It will be a much better, more beautiful planet than, you know, what we have created. Luigi Fontana, if having a zest for life, an enthusiasm for life, like you obviously do, I think that's obviously a, a key part of uh, longevity and uh, aspiring to that health span as uh, anything else that we've talked about. Thank you, thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, it's a great book. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I recommend it. It's The Path to Longevity, The Secrets to Living a Long and Happy, Healthy Life. Luigi, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And I will put the details of the book into the show notes for this episode at our website, llamapodcast.com. That's double L-A-M-A podcast.com. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, you can leave a, a review there. I read them all. It's good to know what you think and perhaps what you'd like us to cover in the future. The Llama Podcast is a Healthspan Media production. You can follow us in social media at Llama Podcast. Direct message me at Peter Bowes. Many thanks for listening. FlexBeam is a portable red light therapy device that's now being used by leading athletes, including the Norwegian tennis player Kasper Rude. Whenever you put the FlexBeam on, you feel it starts to work right away. I need something that can help repair all the fibres that I have broken in the surfs. The infrared lights penetrate your skin and makes the muscle tissue recover faster. Flexbeam, I keep it with me all the time. Recharge Health is offering Llama Podcast listeners an $80 discount on the purchase of a Flexbeam device. Go to the website recharge.health and use the code LLAMA at checkout. That's L-L-A-M-A. You'll also find the link in the show notes for this episode.